You're listening to Wordslinger Podcast Episode 141, Thrillers and History Matters with Steve Barry. This episode of the Wordslinger Podcast is brought to you by draft to digital Convert your manuscript, distribute it online, and get support the whole way at drafttodigital.com. It's the Word Slinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand, write your book, redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Word Slinger. Hey, everybody, this is Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Imagine that. <laughs> so thanks so much for tuning in um i am uh i'm not gonna lie to you pretty excited about this episode <laughs> i've been pretty excited about it for a while and uh, i'm actually i'm sort of breaking a tradition um I, I i i tend to i do a lot of these interviews and i i stack them okay and i have plenty of them set aside uh and apologies to all of you i've talked to that i haven't i haven't published your interview just yet um I'm letting someone skip the line, because <laughs> on Monday, I actually, uh, I talked about this, I hinted at this, I, I teased this a little last week, but on Monday, I interviewed author Steve Barry. Now, if you don't know Steve Barry, where where you been hiding? What rock are you living under? Um, but he writes in the same genre that I write in, and that uh, last week's guest, uh, Ernest Dempsey, writes in. And uh, the same genre that Dan Brown of The Da Vinci Code writes in. Steve Barry is a New York Times uh, and USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestseller. Uh, so you're, you're in for a treat. Um, I talked to him about his career, uh, but I also talked to him about his... He's got a, uh, a historic preservation... Uh, I don't, it's not a business. It's like a charitable organization almost called History Matters. And we talked to him a little bit about that. Um, so this was a this was a fun interview. This was a chance to sit down with somebody that you know I've read all of his work. I uh, I kind of, I've gone and watched uh, numerous interviews uh, on YouTube. I've I've listened to uh, various podcasts. Uh, so it was, it was good. It was a it was a great opportunity to uh, to sit down with somebody who I respect and admire. Uh, turned out to be a very uh, interesting guy too. Uh, we we did chat before and after the interview, uh, and it was interesting. Yeah, here's a little. Here's a little tidbit for you uh, that you're not going to get from the interview itself, <laughs> but some behind the scenes. Um, when I when I asked him to be on, he he was happy to be on. Uh, I actually was approached by his uh, his um, publicist, um, and then when I uh, brought him on the show, he asked me before we started the interview. So how how long is this? And I said, well. You know, I try to keep these under 45 minutes out of respect for your time. And I, I could almost see him go white over the uh, the video feed. He's <laughs> like, that's a 45 minutes. That's a long time. Uh, I hope you got plenty of questions. I'm like, I don't have any questions. I have no questions prepared. Because <laughs> why would I make anybody feel better? <laughs> so, um, But uh, after the interview, I, I asked him, uh, how he felt about it and he said it was great and uh, he was surprised and he thought he was happy that we talked about the writing because uh, most people want to talk about just the uh just his books and you know what the books are about and you know that sort of thing he we actually talked about the craft of writing in this interview so i think you're going to get a lot out of this um 
and I've, I've delayed you long enough. Now, <clears throat> stick around uh, after the interview, uh, and in the afterglow of uh, hearing this chat with Steve Barry, I got some interesting industry news you're going to want to hear about, uh, some cool stuff happening, and uh, some things we'll revisit as well. So do that. Hang out for, uh, for that stuff after this interview. Hope you enjoy this. The uh, I'll just throw a legendary in there. The legendary Steve Barry. Uh, excellent interview. See you on the other side. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, now, today I'm talking to somebody that um, uh, if you haven't read this guy, I'm shocked. I've read practically everything he's written at this point. Um, and I've always been impressed. And as I told him when I reached out, uh, it's, it's the best bang for your buck. You can't get a better story about going to the movies. You'll pay, you'll pay easily four times as much and not get as much entertainment and excitement out of it. So I'm talking with Steve Barry. He's a New York Times bestselling thriller author, uh, and uh, he's got a lot of other stuff going on, which I'm really interested in talking to you about, Steve. So thank you so much for being on the show. Good to be here. So you are. Uh, I've watched probably a thousand interviews with you at this point. Uh, you have been researched more than any other guest on this show. Uh, just because I started kind of feeling around, uh, just if I was looking for other thriller authors to kind of, uh, you know, to find out their approach, find out their history, find out their philosophies. Uh, you had kind of an interesting philosophy. You've got an interesting backstory as to how you got into this. So you, first of all, you started as an attorney, right? Yes. I was a lawyer for uh, 30 years. So what, uh, at what point did you decide that you're going to switch from being a, uh, an attorney to being an actual author. <laughs> well, there wasn't a, a moment. It wasn't that moment. There was um, every writer I've ever met has a little voice in their head. And that mm -hmm. little voice doesn't say write a bestseller and sell a bunch of books and do all that kind of thing. Right. It says, sit down and write. I need you to sit down and write. If you'll sit down and write each, each day, I will hush. If you don't, I'm going to nag you to death. And <laughs> I used to think that was a little crazy, but now I know that every single writer in the world has the same little voice in their head. Right. Uh, and for me, the little voice was there during the 1990s for 10 years, probably. Right. Uh, I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it. Occasionally I would listen to it. Occasionally I would uh, ignore it. Yeah. It is interesting. The phone rings right the moment we talk. Uh, right? That's it. Yeah. I pre-programmed that. I yeah, reached I out and had some people. I've been here all day and it hasn't rang once. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, I didn't listen to the little voice in the 1980s. Yeah. I ignored it. And finally, in the summer of 1990, I, uh, I decided uh, to listen to it. We're going to take care of that real easily, see? You know what I like about this? And I'm keeping this in the show. And you know why I like it? <laughs> <laughs> it shows it shows authentic humanity, Steve. It this is, is authentic. It's, uh, we got real Steve Barry here. <laughs> I sit in this office. You can see behind me the office. This is where I write every day. Yeah. I literally sit here, and the phone may ring once a day, if that much. Usually yeah. once every three days. Yeah. It just rang twice in two seconds. So what's it? What are people calling you about when they're calling well, that you? Was, that was a more simpler one. That was my daughter. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's that's that perfectly allowable. Do you need to take that? I'm not going to keep you from talking to your daughter. She'll call back in a little bit. She calls. <laughs> she usually FaceTimes. So, okay. So sometimes she'll call. She's in college. Uh, yeah. So um, 
I was telling you that finally in the summer of 1990, I listened to the little voice in my head and I sat down and started to write a book. And uh, I realized then that the voice would go quiet and, mm -hmm. and I know how to control it. Now, of course, it took me a year. I wrote a novel. And when I was done, it was 170,000 words long. In fact, I have it. It's right over here and right over here near me. I keep that manuscript to this day. Right. 170,000 word manuscript is pretty awful, by the way, just by definition, just, just 170,000 words. Right. So, uh, and it's, it's unintelligible. I mean, you, you read it, you just sort of cringe when you read it. It was horribly written. Right. But, it, but it's the greatest thing I'll ever write in my life. And that's why I kept it. I kept it to this day because I started it and I finished it. Yeah. 90% of all writers do not finish what they start. Right. They don't finish it. But I did. I finished it. Oh, well, you know, what do you do then? Well, to keep the little voice quiet, I had to keep writing. And so over the next 12 years, I wrote eight more manuscripts. Wow. And then um, I, uh, uh, five of those made it to New York publishing houses. And they were rejected 85 times. I made <laughs> it the 86th time 12 years after I started. So it was a very yeah. long process for me to get published. So once that hit though, uh, and this was during the, uh, now I may have my timeline wrong. You can correct me. But this was during the time when another author uh, let out some, some book no one's heard of something about Da Vinci and codes. I'm not sure. Uh, but it, it was around that time that you, you, you got picked up. Is that correct? I, I got published thanks to uh, Da Vinci code. Yeah because the Da Vinci Code had been bought by Random House and they thought they had something pretty interesting. They thought they had something that might reinvigorate the genre. You see, I wrote uh, action history secrets. I wrote these kinds of things, which used to be called a spy novel. Right. Genre died in the 1990s after the Cold War. By 2003, it was gone. Yeah. Da Vinci brought it back, but in a new form. It became action history secrets conspiracies. That's what right. I write. Yeah. So Random House had Da Vinci. They were looking for stuff to go with it. And that's how I got bought. I was on the 86th time. I was in the right place, right time, right story. Right. Right. And how long, uh, once it was accepted, I mean, how long before you start seeing like real success or what you might consider real success from, uh, from that sale? Well, the book was bought in May of 02. It wasn't published till August of 03. So okay. A long process there. Um, Amber Room was my first published book and it did very well. I mean, it didn't, you know, it didn't set the world on fire, but for a first yeah. novel uh, with the rules applicable at that time, it did very, very well. It did 44,000 hardcovers, which was a lot for that time. Yeah. It would yeah. be comparable today to doing a hundred thousand plus hardcovers. Yeah. It, so, I mean, it's comparable. Uh, it, it was, um, it did very well. Um, Romanoff Prophecy came next and did a little better. Third Secret did a little better. And then along came Templar Legacy, which yeah. was in 2006. And that's the book that changed me forever. Yeah, yeah. And you, so I have to thank you personally. Um, I owe you and I owe Dan Brown. As soon as I can land Dan Brown, I'll tell him personally. But uh, you, you created the genre that I, that I write in and profit from. So, and you're, I'm not the only one. I've got a whole lot, line of guys who want to, you know, get in line behind me and shake your hand, by the way. Uh, so well, thank I, you I so much. Towards Dan. I mean, I yeah. feel that 
course, Dan Brown, because he brought the genre back to life and I would have never made it, but for him. So really we all need to be shaking his hand. He's the yeah, one who yeah, brought it back yeah. to life. He gave me a chance and then he gave you a chance and he gave all of us a chance. Right. Yeah. It's uh, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, this is a fun genre. you the stuff that you write. It's uh, uh, my, I've been told my stuff is very similar. I'm going to take that as a compliment. Um, but it's that, it's that kind of thing that I always go hunting for on Netflix, by the way. Like, I'm looking for something, you know, I want to see a Steve Perry novel adaptation soon. And I know you had some nibbles. <laughs> well, I, get, uh, I mean, I get 20 to 25 nibbles a year. Yeah. Uh, get about one or two every month. And, um, you know, they all talk a good line, but nobody ever follows up. Nothing's yeah. Good. They're risky, though. Don't you think these, because your, your books would be very expensive to adapt into. You have to go to those places because right. places are part of it. Now, my books would be very expensive to bring to the screen. Yes. Yeah. What, um, so now most of us have, the, we, we hear the advice that if you're going to write in this genre, you need to read in this genre. Um, who, are, who are some of the influences on you? Who, who are you reading that you uh, enjoy from this genre? I read all thrillers, but I, you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't read as many as I used to. I only get to read about six or eight a year for fun. Right. Um, I read about 20, 25 books. Last year, I did 30 books, uh, which I read for blurbs, which are new writers who are looking for blurbs. So most right. of my reading is that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I don't get to read a lot of thrillers. I read, uh, you know, I, I love, I read Dan, of course. I read Jim Rollins and, uh, right. you know, some of uh, Custler's, not all of them, but a few, some of them. Um, it would be impossible to read all of Custler's. Yeah, too many books. Too many. <laughs> but I like the Dirk Pitt books, and uh, yeah. so I read the Dirk, the Dirk ones. Um, there's, you know, reading for fun is very difficult for me because I use around 400 sources for each novel, so I'm reading those. Right, right. Yeah, that's one of the kickers of this, of this business is uh, we end up reading a lot, of <laughs> a lot of history, a lot of biographies, uh, how do you, uh, narrow down what you're going to, what you're going to pick as a topic? I mean, and you also go to places. You don't just read about it. It's not Wikipedia with you. You go and experience those places. Well, I have to, uh, I have to find a subject that is going to interest me because I'm going to spend 18 months with it. So it's got to be something that I'm interested in, Right. but it also has to be something that the reader's interested in. Right. Uh, I, you know, and I have to project what the reader might be interested in two years from now, because I stay two years ahead of myself. Right. So I'm thinking down the road. It also has to be something fresh, something novel, something no one has touched before. Uh, it has to be different. Yeah. It has to be something from the past that is real, that still has relevance today. So I have a lot of criteria. Yeah. And it narrow and it makes it difficult. You know, luckily I've come up so far with 18 novel ideas, and uh, I've got ideas for the next three years, so I'm okay. Yeah, you keep uh, you keep like a Evernote file or something on uh, with ideas, or how do you track that? A little more old-fashioned, just a file <laughs> folder with a piece of paper with stuff written on it. I I would not expect any less from you, actually. No, I I would, very I, low tech. Yeah, I want I want to say I have this picture of you opening a vault and taking out this dusty tome of, you know, <laughs> research and ideas, classified coffee stains on it, you know. <laughs> not, quite that, not quite that at all, but it is a cabinet right behind me over here that I slide out the file, and, and there are pieces of paper in there that are quite yellowed. Yeah, they've been in there for a long time. 
Yeah. So, and why, why is that? I mean, are you just waiting for the right timing for them or never, never bore fruit, you know? Yeah. I throw them in there and they're there and maybe one day I can come up with something from them. And occasionally I do. Occasionally I'm yeah. able to take an old idea, but mostly they're just there and they, uh, they turn yellow. Now, um, do you, you do short fiction? I can't recall. Very little. I've done about 10 short stories. I'm, uh, I'm short story challenged. It's very difficult for me to write short stories. Yeah. Uh, they're hard for me. Um, I can do it, but it takes me about a month to write one. Yeah. Where in a month I could write thirty thousand words, right? So it's they're they're not the easiest for me, but I have done them. Uh, luckily, I've done several with other writers who are good at it, and so I'm able to uh, uh, you know springboard off their uh, expertise. What what is it do you think that makes them more difficult? Is it just boiling everything down into a more concise format, or is there some other challenge? Just the plot, getting that tight, concise little plot right there. It, it is yeah. challenging. I, I can do it. It just takes me time to sit down and think about it. And the problem yeah. is when I'm doing that, I can't write the novels. So yeah. I have to pick because I know guys who can write a short story in an the afternoon. They get the yeah. idea in the morning, they write in the afternoon, they're done. That's not me. Right, right. Yeah. And you're very much a, you're, you're a plotter. I know this. <laughs> uh, novels are very plot sensitive yeah yeah because i and and that's been a challenge for me my entire career is um i've very, always been what they call a pantser you know uh right by the seat of my pants but it, yeah, since i started when i switched to thrillers because i used to write th sci-fi and fantasy and when i switched to thrillers it, it became very necessary to uh, uh to try to plot i mean i i kind of do a a sort of uh what i call a treatment uh and that's the best I've been able to manage. How, how, do, you, how do you manage plotting? Well, I've, I, in the beginning, I plotted the first four novels all the way through before I wrote a word. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend to all writers that they have to do that for a little while because right. it you what you need to know. I've done it now 22 times. I've written 22 manuscripts, so I can plot them now in my head. But I still plot on paper about 50 pages ahead of myself. Okay. I, I keep about 50 pages to 100 pages ahead of myself and plotting as I'm writing. And I generally have an idea where I'm going and I always know the end before I start. So yeah. I, I know where I'm headed. And yeah. you have to know all of that, by the way. Uh, otherwise, your rewrites are going to be even more numerous than they're normally going to be. Yeah. And you're not just, you're not just talking from the perspective of someone who, who writes for a living. I mean, you actually help other you teach people how to do this i do I, um, we teach it uh, a writer's workshop as part of our history matters foundation right i was going to ask you about history matters i do want to hear more about that well, we raise money for historic preservation by the workshops and we've taught over three thousand students uh in those workshops wow so that's uh and how have you seen some success stories come out of that some uh I actually have it's nice yeah. to, it's nice to get an email from them and say i, I got published or i got an agent yeah, we've had we've actually had that happen. It's pretty cool. That's going to be interesting when uh, your your name and one of your students names are are right next to each other in the New York Times or something. That would be pretty neat. <laughs> uh, that would be pretty. I, I would love to see that one day. That would be fantastic. You, uh, so History Matters is uh, now you've been to Houston. I'm in the Houston area. I don't know if I made that clear when we started talking. I'm in the H general Houston area. I'm in Pearland right now. Um, 
and you've actually been to the Houston area as part of History Matters. And I, every time I narrowly miss, I don't get a chance to actually hunt you down and, uh, and introduce myself. We were just myself. there in, uh, in, no, in November to the San Jacinto Museum. Yeah, yeah. There and uh, did a History Matters event there. Yeah. We're coming back to Houston as part of the tour for the Bishop's Pawn. We'll be there in March. We'll be back uh, at Murder by the Book. Murder by the Book. That is the place uh, for thriller authors to show up. I've got a half a dozen uh, coming here in the next uh, six months. <laughs> I, I, know go. Every, I go there every year, so we'll be there. I think it's uh, March 21. I think I'm there. Oh, excellent. Yeah, okay. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to make sure I'm... I'm free to be i'm always it seems like i'm either i'm at a uh, one of the conventions or uh something i'm usually out somewhere speaking or something when you're in town so i have to well, make some schedule, special arrangements my schedule is on my website it's steveberry.org under events it's all there if the viewers want to check out where i'll be okay and now the, as far as history matters you um you and your wife, I've heard you say this numerous times, you guys come in and you don't, you don't uh, charge them for your travel expenses or any of that. You guys come in on your own dime. Yes, we pay our own way to go. We pay our own expenses and, and all the money raised, every, every dime that we raise while we're there goes to the project we're there to support. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, that's the whole point of it, to raise the money. And we've done about 80, 85 projects, raised a little over a million dollars. What prompted you to start doing that? Well, it was just something that dovetailed off what I write about because I write about history and we noticed, mm -hmm. uh, you know, historic preservation was kind of falling apart all over the country. There's no money for it. I mean, there's no, right. there's no public money for it and nothing there. So we decided let's let's help out. Let's see what we can do. And so uh, we, we help communities. We partner with them to try to raise the money necessary to uh, to, to fix their local stuff. We've done Posters, documents, libraries, cemeteries, land, buildings, statues, you name it, we've raised money for it. Yeah. I um, used to do uh, documentary television for, for PBS, among others, and we did a whole series on historic aviation. And uh, I know from personal experience how, how valuable it is for guys like you to come in and, and just lend, lend support, uh, even just showing up to talk at these things is remarkable. So I can appreciate that. Thank you. I want to thank you on behalf of everybody. <laughs> part, of our, part of giving back, uh, a lot of writers uh, do it and, and, and they find something that interests them. And this is what interested us. Yeah. So you're now you're in the Florida area. In Augustine, Florida. Augustine, Florida. Why did, why did you make the distinction? Is that, is it? Well, St. No, Augustine, Florida. That's the town. Uh, okay. We're in Northeast Florida, St. Augustine. It's uh, the oldest city in America. Oh, is it really? I did not know that. What's uh? Yeah. So, that, oh, okay. Well, and uh, you just did you you did you always live there? You were a practicing attorney there as well, or I'm a practicing attorney in Georgia, about an hour north of here, right over the border. Okay. In a I see. Town called St. Mary's, and when we decided to move, we we always liked St. Augustine, so uh, we decided to come an hour south here, and that's where we live now, right down here. It's uh. A lot of history here. This town's been here since 1550. It's the oldest okay. continuous European settlement in North America. So was that choice, did you decide to do that before or after you uh, started doing uh, writing full time? Yeah, uh, no, I started, I, well, no, it was two years after. I, I published in 03. I did seven books as a lawyer and okay. I quit practicing law in 2008. Okay. And 
then in 2010, we moved to Florida. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now you were uh, in, well, you were practicing law. You were writing and publishing while practicing law. Yes, I did seven yeah. books. Well, I did all eight of the ones that didn't, you know, the, 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 during the 12 years, I was a lawyer. Then once I got published, I did the first seven still as a lawyer. And it grew to the point that I had to choose. Yeah. Uh, it just, it, it grew. I didn't set out to become a full-time writer and quit the practice of law. That really wasn't the goal. The goal was to shut the little voice up in my head. That was the goal. And then it became, well, I think I'd like to be a commercial fiction writer. But again, I wasn't arrogant enough to think that I was going to be successful and be able to do it full-time as a a living. I thought I would do both. I'd be a lawyer and a writer. But it just grew and it grew and it grew till finally in 2008, I had to choose. Yeah. And I, I love, I love that you said it that way because um, most of my career, most of the, you know, a lot of the authors I know who are making any money doing it, they, they started pretty much the same way. They had a day job and they figured I'll do the day job until maybe I make enough from the day job to quit and write or uh, the writing maybe takes off and, and finances my life or whatever. But it's so, it's kind of unusual for that to happen. <laughs> well, you can probably, you know, there may be 25 or 30 writers today who make a good living yeah. writing. Right. Um, it's, it's a very difficult profession to make a living at writing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's hard. I mean, particularly today. It was, it was hard when I started. It's even harder today. What, what makes it harder? There's more competition. There's more stuff going on. Right. There's more places competing for everything. Prices have changed. Distribution has changed. Everything has changed today. So it's, yeah. a, it's a much different world today. We didn't have ebooks when I started. Right. Uh, right. It was all very different. You bought books when I started in a bookstore. Right. That's where you bought them. You went to Borders or Barnes and Noble or Walden's or whatever. There's where you went to buy a book. You didn't go to Walmart or Target or BJ's or Sam's. Yeah, uh, and Costco's and those places. You you went to a bookstore. It was a whole different world then. Now I, it was it was tough. It's just tougher today. Yeah, and I, I honestly do miss uh, Borders and uh, B. Dalton and Walden. I miss all those. All gone. <laughs> all gone. And I guess because they didn't put coffee shops in. I don't even know why. <laughs> Amazon. Amazon. Amazon changed everything because Amazon changed the pricing and also changed the delivery system. Right. Made it just so easy to buy. Yeah. Yeah. So in light of the way that's changed then, I mean, how has your career changed? Because you were, you were already publishing, you were already successful. Um, How did it change the, your approach to the business? Well, I have to be more aware of the business. I have to watch it because the business changes on a, almost a daily basis. I mean, it's yes. something changing constantly all the time. Back in the very beginning, that wasn't the case. The rules were set and they were pretty much there. And those were the rules. Yeah. Not anymore. The rules are being thrown out every day and modified. And, and you have to keep up with that. Uh, a failure to keep up with that is fatal. Absolutely yes. fatal. And I spend a lot of time keeping up with that every day. I'm lucky that my wife, Elizabeth, is very big in that. She runs a company called 1001 Dark Nights, which is in the romance genre and uh, deals with marketing and the publishing of novellas in the romance genre. And so she's very aware of what's going on in the, uh, in the e-business. So I'm yeah. able to keep up with that. Yeah. 
that's I'm I'm jotting that down because I'm going to want to. Thousand and One uh, Dark Nights. It's uh, yeah. they sold over two million novellas in the last three years. Okay. It's a very interesting uh, group because it it involves cross marketing between these New York Times bestsellers and the romance business. They cross market each other across their platforms, and it works wonderful in the romance business. Yeah. You can grow your readership and all kinds of things. It has no effect in the thriller business. Yeah, yeah. That's the, my experience. I mean, you know, and I work, so I, I uh, among other things, I'm, a, I'm the um, director of marketing for draft to digital which is an ebook aggregator. Uh, we deal with a lot of romance writers, and they, they are very savvy people. Very they, savvy. They're very experimental. Very <laughs> And they're always on the cutting edge. <laughs> yeah, and the readership is very open. They read around six to eight books a week. Yeah. The thrill, the average thriller reader reads six to eight books a year. Yeah. That's the yeah. difference. And you cannot get them to try something new. They have to decide that all by themselves. Right. Right. And in the romance business, you actually can get them to try something new. And they're much more flexible and this is not me talking, this is studies that have been done by the Codex Company, which is a big company that deals in the book business. Right. They've done these studies and it, it, the, the most difficult reader to try to attract is the thriller reader. Yeah. It is the most difficult. But they're fiercely loyal. That's the thing. Once, once, once they're in. Yeah. yeah. Once you get them, they're yours. They're yours. Now, how, how are you attracting new, new thriller readers? Well, I, as I said, it's extremely difficult. All I mm -hmm. can do is I maintain a Facebook page. So I have a Facebook right. fan page. We have a website, which is very good. We get around 500 to 600 sessions a day. Yeah. So, so those are people coming on, staying an average of about two minutes. Yeah. So that, that's several hundred, that's about 200,000 people right there. So we are attracting people with those types of mediums. It's really the only way I can. When yeah. a book comes out, we do our marketing and we do the best we can with it. But again, very difficult to get a thriller, uh, a thriller reader to try someone new. They have to figure that out on their own and they have to want to do it on their own. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the cha that's the challenge. <laughs> it's kidding oh, to decide. Impossible. In fact, it's yeah. it borders on the impossible is what it does. Yeah. But Which is why it's so fun to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it frustrating in some degree because yeah. there's so much to compete against and so much there, but you can only do what you can do. You do, you do the best you can. Yeah. So you, I'm glad you brought up marketing. Marketing is a question that I get asked about a lot. Um, and I like to talk to other authors and find out how they're doing it. And uh, so you, I mean, you have a traditional publisher behind you and I'm sure they have a, a marketing arm that does some things. Uh, but I know, and, and I'm sure you'll agree that authors are essentially in charge of their marketing now. <laughs> much, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. You are your own marketing director. So what do you do uh, to make, to keep the marketing spinning? Well, we have to, you have to set up your, your, your marketing campaign when the time comes. And, you know, yeah. we do that through uh, advertisements that we put on dedicated websites, history channels, Smithsonian channel, places where my readers will be. Right. You want them to see the book. You want them to know it exists. Right. So we spend, I mean, we spend a good bit of money on it. I mean, we probably spend somewhere between 75 to 100 Twenty-five thousand dollars on on marketing. 
Uh, is that annual or, or monthly? I'm no, prepared for either. For the book, when the book comes out. For each launch. Okay. Launch, yeah, probably yeah. in the hundred thousand dollar range is what we okay. spend on, and because you've got to get it out there where people can see and know. There's a simple rule of marketing: if someone doesn't know it exists, they'll never buy it. Right. You have to know it exists, so we spend the money to do that. Yes. Yeah. It's funny how that works. If no one's well, heard of you, <laughs> oh, no one's ever heard of you. They're not going to buy you. Now, right. The question is, they have to see the book. And then they have to kind of go, well, that interests me. Okay, let me let me learn more about that. Let me see if that interests me. I can't I can't trick them into buying it. I can't nudge them into buying it. They have right. to figure that out on their own. The right. trick is to get it in front of them. Yeah. Just get it in front. Now, the number one way that I market, because I've been around a while, is I market to my fan base. Yeah. That's my number one way. Yeah. So, you know, I have a fan base. They did a study a while back of about 2 million. Okay. So I market to that fan base. That's where we go. Is it, would that be via like an email list or, or on your Facebook page or how do you reach that fan yeah. base? Same, exactly that. You do Facebook uh, newsletter. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the number two, two main ways that I do it. Facebook and newsletter. Yeah. Uh, I can connect to those people. And I can give them information and I can uh, have a dialogue with them and I can, I can let them know these are, these are people who, who, who I've already got. They're in my orbit. Right. I just got to get them to go to the, click and buy. That's what I got to right. get. Them to do. I don't have to convince them. I just got to get them to click. Right. Yeah. The, new, the new reader, I have to do both. I have to convince them that I'm worthy to be read and right. then I have to get them to click. So, yeah, so your, your group is already sold on you. Yes. So that work's done. That's so now it's just letting them know a new book's out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For, for yeah. a established writer with, a, with an audience, um, the number one way they sell books is market to their fan base. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's what, you know, I tell people that all the time. That's a, and it, what's tough though for the new author is that they don't typically have that fan base. Um, you, you had some I don't even want to put it that way. I was going to say you had some advantages. You didn't have advantages. You had challenges that you had to overcome. Dan Brown made it a little easier for for you to uh, get in Dan there. Published, but he right. Didn't, he didn't. He and, and he gave me a wonderful blurb that helped sell the Amber Room. But the book had to stand on its own. Right. That's the problem. Your book has to once it's out there, you're on your own. Right. You're right. Still no comes down to write a good book. You got to write a story that they go, I like that. And then yeah. they tell their friend and they tell their friend. And then when the next one comes out, they go, you know, I like that last one of his, I'm going to read this one. And they yeah. say, I like that. Then the third one, by then you got them. Yeah. yeah. You know, and they become a fan. And that's, yeah. that's what you're after. You're trying to get them to be a fan. To do that, we have to churn out a product. And you have to churn out a product at least once a year. Yeah. Yeah. It, most so most people are more than that today but I only do one a year. That's all I can do. Now you're, you mentioned that you do um, like you'll, you'll get a hold of advanced copies and do blurbs. Uh, uh, are you, cause Dan Brown's blurb helped you. Uh, are you uh, like taking authors under your wing in any way? And, you know, no, I don't, I don't do that because first of all, no one, None of them ask for my opinion. They don't, they don't ask for my advice. So uh, I'll, I'll ask you. I'll ask you for your advice. I don't just volunteer <laughs> advice. And even if they asked, I'd be a little hesitant because I'm not, 
you know, teaching is, is a different animal. You know, you right. have to be, you got to want to be taught. Right. You know, That's true. You got to want to do it. You know, I was taught in a very critical process. I was taught where I read my chapter out loud and then the others destroyed it. Yeah. They took yeah. it apart. And I, I, I was taught in a very tough environment. There right. was no, boy, that's wonderful. That's so great. But let me see if I can make it better. No, right. it was, no, that's here. Let me take it apart. Now, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I learned in that, in that environment. And I have to say, I'm a little tough on folks when I do teach because I don't tolerate, you know, um, you know, the obvious mistakes that none of us should be making. And right. they're unfortunately in today's world, the vast majority of writers do not really pay much attention to the craft of writing. That's the last thing they think about. Right. And a lot of the books I read for blurbs, are, you know, a lot of them suffer from, you know, craft deficiencies, oh. uh, you know, because they, they don't pay attention to that anymore. No one worries about craft because Amazon has convinced us that you can sell a book for anything. Right. You know, price it at 99 cents, they'll buy it. It doesn't matter how it's written. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good it is. And I don't adhere to the philosophy that a book is a book is a book. That's right. not true. That's right. like saying that a car is a car is a car. Right. Uh, or a, uh, a suit is a suit is a suit. So, uh, you, know, um, you know, a suit that you, you know, there are different kinds of clothing. There's better yeah. grades. There's better everything. There is a difference in those things. Yeah, there's a big difference between buying a suit off the rack and getting a nice bespoke tailor. Big difference. Yeah. Big difference. yeah. It's so. not a suit, and a book is not a book. Right. And uh, I heard this once years ago from someone who worked with Amazon. He gave a talk at Thriller Fest, mm -hmm. and he said that from the podium. He says, to us, a book is a book is a book. And I asked him afterwards, I said, now you're telling me that a book written by someone who's never written a book before in their life with no training whatsoever is worth the exact same as a book written by Lee Child. Right. So you're saying they're, they are identical in value. And he said, yes. I said, you can't really believe that because you would be the only business on earth where that is true. And it's just, it does not, it does not ring true. It does not compute because I, the reality is you couldn't release a book for 99 cents and it may sell very well, but it's not about that initial sale. It's about sustaining it, right? That fan base that you're talking well, about. I'm putting a value on my intellectual property that is not right. correct. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's the biggest thing Amazon has done to the book world. They have devalued intellectual property. Interesting because they have, they have said that a book is a book is a book. Right. And right. so they're all worth the same. That's not true. I don't right. agree with that. I've never agreed with that because then otherwise then a, um, a piece of luggage bought at a bargain basement store is exactly the same as a Louis Vuitton piece of luggage. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're identical. You know, it's a piece of luggage. Well, not really because this other one's going to last you about six months and this one's going to last you about 60 years. Right. Okay. But then again, that's yeah. the longevity. There's longevity a is the difference. There's a big difference in those products. Yeah. And there's a big difference between the guy who's never written a book before in his life and a Lee Child book who, who has written 20, you know, or 22 and, and is a, you know, one of the largest selling sellers of books in the world. So right. I don't agree with that. But Amazon has devalued 
intellectual property. And that's, that's the biggest thing that has happened to us. Yeah. So, okay. Craft is the number one thing then that we, yes. we should pay attention to. So what, where do you go to improve craft? Where do you start? You have to teach yourself writing. Yeah. There is no one that can teach you how to write. Yeah. But there are people that can help teach you how to teach you how to write. Yeah. I was lucky. I found some people like that. They helped me learn how to teach myself and people need to do that. But the problem is craft takes time. It, it takes years to learn yeah. how to craft. Right. People today don't want to mess with that. They just want to listen to the little voice. Let me slop it down. Let me get it out there. I'll sell it for 99 cents or I'll give it away. And I've got a book out there. Well, that's wonderful. But that, and, and people will buy your next book too. You know why? Because it's 99 cents. Yeah. You know, now if I put a 1499 price tag on that book, no one would buy it. Right. Zero. How many would you sell? Zero. <laughs> Zero. That's how many. I, but I sold it for fourteen ninety nine. But if you took Lee Child's fourteen ninety nine book, where right. he sells millions, right. and sell it for ninety nine cents, he would sell even more millions. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, what seems to me, if I'm the guy down here selling for ninety nine cents, I'd take a lesson from that. Yeah. Yeah. Instead yeah, of making a quarter a book, I'd like to make four bucks a book. Right. Or five bucks a book, you know, why, you know, but there's a difference in quality. That's the difference is the quality. Yeah. Now you, you brought up international thriller writers and you're a, you're one of the founders of that. I am. I'm one of the founding members. Yeah. That, so that is a, uh, it's a remarkable uh, group. They have great conference. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm planning to attend this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to come this July. There, unfortunately, that conference always lines up with one or two other conferences that I'm already booked for. And uh, it's tough for me to, to do it. But, at the, and this one's for me. Like I go to the others for the, for the authors. This one's for me. So I'm planning to come this July. <laughs> summer, summer camp for thriller writers, man. It's, uh, when we talk craft, uh, at, at craft yeah. we, uh, I teach at Master Craft Fest, which I teach all day on Tuesday with a group of 10 writers. Mm. Uh, Craft Fest is Wednesday and Thursday. Thriller Fest is Friday and Saturday. It's literally summer camp for thriller writers. What, what does it take to, to sit in on your, uh, your little master class there? Craft Fest, $500. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Yes, it's $500. We charge $500 a head. Yeah. Uh, and you get uh, eight hours. And we keep the class at 10 or under. Okay. And we have 10 of us who do it. Okay. 10 of us who do it. And, uh, and so, uh, it's a really intense day. What I do, it's, it's probably the most intense day you will ever have in the craft of writing. It's a right. very intense day. And then I give you another half hour of my time sometime during the week so I can personally critique your work. Oh, wow. So we do that too. So that's a bargain at $500 though. All that money goes to international thriller writers. All of it okay. is to help keep international thriller writers going and uh we donate our day yeah. uh lee did it last year lee taught a class last year mm. uh we have uh, 10 excellent teachers who are who know how to teach an eight-hour class right and and keep it interesting during the day so i get the published writers so if you signed up i would get you because yeah. uh i teach uh, the advanced class so i get all the writers who have actually published 
Okay. Usually it's about eight who have published somewhere between eight and 10. I yeah. get all of those. And so we teach, I teach my class a little bit different because it's people who've already published. Yeah. That's, um, that is a flat out bargain for $500, man. I mean, I know that's on top of the expense of attending and, yeah. and all that, but still. Fest is not for the faint of heart. It's no. not a cheap conference. Right. But, but what you get for Driller Fest is different than any other conference you will go to. Right. We are not a reader's conference. We are a writer's conference. We are the genre coming together. We are a working uh, thriller writer. 80% of our members are working thriller writers. Yeah. And we get readers who come, but we cater the conference to writers. And it's all That's, about writing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a growth place. It's a, it's a, it's for people right on the cusp, ready to be published. Yeah. People who have been published. Yeah. And we hold it in New York City at the Grand Hyatt because we're in the center of publishing. Yeah. That's yeah. where we are. And we have every agent, publisher, editor, everybody in New York is there. And they come yeah. to the this. It's fantastic. Yeah. And the organization is great too. I mean, it, it's very helpful. Lots of resources. You get to, it is a, an interesting thing because I, I, I participate in a lot of different conferences uh, and some of them are genre specific, you know, like, like thriller writers. But it, you rarely get to connect with so many big hitters uh, in those conferences oh, the way you do it. They're very accessible, too. Yeah. Everyone's in one place. We don't have any secret rooms or places put off. where. Which I think is a shame. You should have secret rooms. We don't have any secret rooms. <laughs> Everything, everyone is treated exactly the same. The only person who gets special treatment is the Thriller Master. Yeah. We honor each year. And this year, it's George R.R. R. Martin. Is our thriller master. Really? Oh, George is the thriller master. He's coming As if that guy needed any more attention. No, I mean, he agreed. He, he was, <laughs> we give the thriller master award to someone who has altered the genre yeah. and has at least 20 years experience. And he okay. is now our this year's thriller master. And he uh, agreed a couple of years ago to do it. So we're looking forward to having He's the only one that gets a little extra special treat. Uh, I can see it. He deserves it. I, I want the guy treated really well and pampered so that he sticks around and finishes the, the whole Game of Thrones. Should be series. done, I'm hoping, by the book that he's working on. Should be done by then, I would hope. That's what, that's what I hear. <laughs> uh, so he'll, uh, he'll be there on Saturday, and he does one hour, uh, an interview on Saturday, and then Saturday night is our big banquet where he'll be presented the Thriller Master Award. Oh, Excellent. All right. Well, look, I, I had promised you I'd keep this around 45 minutes. We're, we're coming up on that and uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and wrap it up. I respect your time. Please stick around. You, you and I are going to chat for just five minutes more. Uh, everybody else, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Steve Barry. Uh, if you didn't, what's wrong with you? Uh, but you can stick around. Now, right now, you're probably hearing the groovy theme music and you may dance in place at will. And I'll see you on the other side with some industry news and other cool stuff you're going to hear. So, Thank you again, Steve, for being on the show. Good to be here. Thank you. All right. Take care, everybody. All right. That was my interview with Steve Barry. Um, that's it. I'm wrapping up. That's uh, the show's over, folks. <laughs> uh, no, I still have some bucket list stuff. I still, I still got some folks I want to talk to. Um, so I hope you, inter- I hope you enjoyed that interview. I, I, um, I love talking to, it's interesting to talk to successful authors uh, from the, tr- 
the traditional side of the industry. Um, the perspective is very different. And I think uh, in a lot of ways, you know, there's a lot that, that everyone in publishing can learn from every other group. Um, I, I believe that there is a, a hybrid model of publishing emerging. And uh, I believe that, you know, those who are successful at self-publishing now will, uh, will gain some advantages, some of the advantages of the traditional world uh, over time. But I actually, I, I firmly believe that uh, the traditional world will start looking around saying, these guys in the indie industry, um, they've figured some things out and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to look into uh, doing it their way. And, uh, and that's where I think that hybridization is going to come from. I think <clears throat> that at heart, Steve Barry is an indie author. <laughs> he's got traditional contracts. He's got agents. He's got publicists. He's got all that stuff. Um, all the things and all the trappings that you would expect from someone in the uh, traditional industry. Um, but his approach to marketing is very similar to that of successful indie authors that I know. Um, he gets the need for that. And uh, he gets the uh, the sort of uh, ancillary marketing idea. Um, I think his organization, History Matters, I believe... Um, I don't. I don't think he has a selfish uh, motive behind it. I, but I think uh, that it is in part driven by his work. It, it means the preservation of the materials he uses for research. Um, you know, without these things, he uh, doesn't have. Uh, he doesn't have that information to draw upon. Uh, but it also is a great. It's a great way for him to spread the word about himself, about his work. Uh, he encourages other writers. Uh, that's very much an indie author uh, mentality to help other writers, uh, to help build careers and help them grow. So, I don't know. I just have this feeling. I could probably kick back with this guy over uh, some scotch and some cigars and, uh, you know, watch the sunset over the ocean somewhere and talk talk the same talk I talk with guys like Ernie Dempsey and uh, Nick Thacker and, and the like. I think... Uh, I think we're in the same, I think we're all in the same pool. So, um, all that said, now, I want to get into the uh, industry news, because <clears throat> there's there's one brand new item I think you're going to love, and I'm revisiting a couple of things as well, uh, with, a, with a fresh take, but first up, Scribd reintroduces their unlimited plan. Uh, Scribd announced this week that it's bringing back its unlimited plan for audiobooks and ebooks, causing some buzz among authors and readers alike. This is a reboot of their previous attempt and it looks like the service is learning from its mistakes the reboot will allow Scribd subscribers to have access to an unlimited catalog of ebooks audiobooks magazines newspapers and sheet sheet music for some reason <laughs> so um, however unlimited quote unquote may be a little misleading after users have uh, poured through a certain unspecified number of books they'll essentially be throttled and limited to books, quote, unlimited, uh, the unlimited reading from a list of predetermined books. So these will include new releases. Uh, well, basically, the, they'll be blocked from reading new releases and front list books, uh, the sort of books that people actually want to read on demand, in other words. So <laughs> this is a little bit like Netflix deciding to limit viewers to uh, only a backlist of videos and then charging them extra to watch new releases. That's my opinion. So 
<laughs> if you uh, have a different opinion or you'd like to weigh in on this or you have some comments or questions, uh, hit me up. Go to wordslingerpodcast.com, um, hit the contact button, and uh, leave me some feedback on this. Um, Apple has fired shots across Amazon's ebook bow. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so uh, Amazon and Am- uh, Apple and Amazon will likely be mentioned a lot. Uh, in a lot of indie publishing news over the next year, as Apple starts eyeing Amazon's big steaming hunk of the ebook market. Now, not only is uh, Apple retooling its book business with a redesigned app and a less I everything name, uh, they've also hired former executives from both Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So, what's the game plan here? Is it, uh, you know, of course it's world domination. Uh, <laughs> but I, for one, welcome our technological overlords, and uh, I, I'm curious what you think uh, about where Apple's going to take this business uh, with these more aggressive moves in place. What's their strategy and what's their plan? I, I my my gut is telling me um, Apple sees a an advantage in owning a bigger piece of that pie. Of course they do. Uh, but I think Apple is uh, looking at Amazon and the way Amazon has operated over the past decade and is um, and is deciding uh, that there is, there's something there worth cultivating and nurturing. Um, my hope is that they'll retool their book business altogether, that they will actually uh, uh, come at this uh, and, and empower the indie authors. Uh, and indie publishers. I know that they'll be may, striking all sorts of deals with the traditional industry, but uh, I think that they'd be wise to look at the indie author crowd and find ways to serve that group uh, at a much higher level than Amazon's serving them. And I, I think that they could dominate. But you let me know. Um, people are going to disagree with that. I know some really intelligent people who are going to disagree with me on uh, some of these points. Um, but I, that's okay. There's room for disagreement. I, I think that this is a good move for the indie publishing industry now. So you let me know what you think. Hit me up. Uh, go to wordslingerpodcast.com. Hit contact to let me know. You can even leave comments on the uh, show notes page of this episode if you like. Audiobook sales are on the rise uh, in a turn that is going to be good news for authors already invested in audiobooks as a sales channel. Sales showed an upward ter- trend in 2017. In the first three quarters of 2017, audiobook sales rose 26.2%. Now, that's as retailers such as uh, Google Play and others are starting to put more focus on audiobooks. It's likely we're just at a beginning of an upward swoop on this. Um, and there's there are uh, nowhere near the titles available in audio as there are in ebook. Uh, so this represents a great opportunity for, uh, for early adopters. And... Uh, this is a chance for you to carve a piece of that pie for yourself. Um, so I'm curious now, how are audiobooks fitting into your current publishing strategy? Are you are you leveraging audiobooks right now? Uh, there is overhead. There's more overhead and cost to producing an audiobook, of course, uh, than there is to produce an ebook. Um, it's a less DIY friendly format, uh, but that doesn't mean you can't do it that way. And of course, we have uh, Draft Digital and. Uh, in find away voices, there is a there is a uh, path for the would be DIY um, audiobook creator there uh, to get not only your book into uh, circulation, but to get a, a large worldwide circulation and uh, distribution. Um, 
I'm just curious about how people are going to use this. I, I, I would love to use audio more. Um, it's a lot of work to produce an audiobook, <laughs> which is why I haven't done it. Uh, I got enough lot of work type projects uh, on my plate, but uh, at any rate, let me know. Uh, you know, reach out, give me some feedback on this. Uh, how are audiobooks playing into your strategy? I'd love to hear that. Uh, and anything else you got? Now that's it for news this week. I uh, hope these are useful. Let me know if they are uh, or are not. I I, st- I introduced this mostly because of the uh, video version of the podcast. Which, if you're not watching, you can tune in. Um, you can search Wordslinger Podcast on YouTube. You'll be able to find it uh, and go subscribe and you know sign up for notifications there when you know a new episode goes live. Uh, the The content there is essentially the same, but it you know it's the intros and outros are different. Uh, so you may get a little more out of it. And it's a chance for you to see the word slinger in action. And what I'm wearing this week or how I'm wearing my hair. Uh, important things like that that, that listeners want to know. <laughs> Thank you for being a part of the Word Slinger Podcast. This episode of the Word Slinger Podcast is, of course, brought to you in part by our sponsors, draft to digital and KDP Rocket. Um you can check both those out. Go to drafttodigital.com slash wordslinger where you can sign up, and I get a little bonus kickback uh, if you sign up and make some sales to that channel. You can also check out KDP Rocket at bit.ly slash KDP Slinger where you can uh, take your content, get more readers, uh, increase your Kindle rankings. You can take control of your content, rather. And, uh, of course, subscribe to this show wherever you have to be listening to it uh, if you're, you know, on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, uh, go subscribe and uh, share. And uh, please leave me a review. Go on iTunes, search for Wordslinger Podcast, write a uh, write a review, and uh, give me like four or five stars, and just say I love the Wordslinger Podcast because blank, and uh, fill in whatever your heart desires there. I I would really appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> and you can obviously support this show on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash wordslinger podcast, that will give you an opportunity to throw some uh, some dough my way. Uh, and any money I make from Patreon goes into the overhead of the show. So thank you so much for being a, a supporter. Um, and I really do appreciate that. Uh, but my favorite way, and the way that I hope you'll choose, uh, regardless of any other method, um, the best way to support me and my work is to go to kevintumlinson.com slash books. Pick up uh, any, something something good to read, something thrilling to read. I like to bill myself as writing uh, fast-paced, positive fiction. <laughs> so, uh, if you uh, if you're into that, I write archaeological thrillers right now. I've written sci-fi and fantasy in the past. Uh, I've even got a, a non-fiction book aimed at the author crowd, thirty-day author. Uh, that you might enjoy if you're wanting to be an author, if you're not already an author. Uh, so go check that stuff out and uh, share it with your friends. Write me some reviews on Amazon. Tell your friends, your family about it. Uh, I really appreciate it. And of course, while you're there, you can hop on my mailing list uh, and you can get a free thriller, which I am, by the way, currently uh, doing a little rewrite. I'm fixing some stuff that uh, should have been fixed a long time ago, really, in in the Quelo Medallion. Uh, so soon I'm going to have that uploaded. Uh, I'm nearly done with the rewrite, and uh, I'm going to polish that up, get it, give it a soft relaunch. I'm not really changing the cover or the title or anything like that. I'm just doing a little soft relaunch, letting people know that it's been updated. Um, 
to fix some some glaring errors that were uh, an unfortunate leave behind the first time I released that book. That book still somehow won awards and uh, became a bestseller despite its flaws, so I think we're pretty okay. Uh, but I, I I thought everybody would appreciate having some of these things fixed, <laughs> some typos and that sort of thing. But there's there was also a uh, a really big plot hole. <laughs> Just I've had a, a couple of people ask, I've had a handful of people ask me about it, and then otherwise no no one seemed to notice it, <laughs> which I'm grateful for. Um, but I'm fixing it. It's fixed. It's actually already fixed. Now I just got to finish the finish editing the rest of the book. Um, that's it. And I got it. You know, new work is on the way, and uh, I'm happy to talk to you about it. If you if you sign up and get that free book, you get on my mailing list. I just sent out an email today. I got thousands of people sent me an article uh, or articles about um, the use of lidar to find lost Mayan cities. Um, which is something that factors into my newest book, uh, The Girl in the Mayan Tomb. Uh, so <laughs> thank you for sending that stuff. I had, man, thousands. People hit me on email, social media, um, I uh, text messages, you name it. <laughs> I had so many people tell me about this. Uh, so I think that's a good sign. I think that that re- resonates with people then. They liked the idea. They thought it was interesting and intriguing. Uh, and uh, I was, I'm glad that I... Uh, managed to include that in the book so that's it for this week hope you enjoyed this episode of the wordslinger podcast thank you so much for tuning in um be sure to uh you know go subscribe to the show so you know when uh, a new episode is released let me know what you thought of this interview with steve barry and uh be sure to uh if you do uh reach out to the guy or anything email him or whatever say hey i heard you on the wordslinger podcast with kevin tomlinson and uh uh you know That'll help me out. It'll show the guest that it's having an impact. (laughs) So, take care of yourselves out there. God bless you. I hope you have a safe and happy uh, weekend ahead, weeks ahead. And uh, I'll see you all next time.